we do welcome you to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Richard Durrington, and your host, as always, is Fred. October has been a month of joy and encouragement in the celebration of our first anniversary. Our focus will change slightly. God's comfort is our intention. When our greatest need is solace, it awaits us in the Word of God. The Bible does not aggrandize the lives of biblical characters, yet they are examples of consolation in the deepest valleys of sorrow. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Well, here we are at day 29 of our month of gratitude this October. Again, you recall celebrating our first year anniversary as a podcast. And we've tried to make it a month of encouragement and comfort. For day 29, then, it's going to be the second part of Is Anything Too Difficult for God? If you recall, part one is just a little bit of an expansion of my testimony of the last few years. Also, what's coming up, you probably already know, but it's Reformation Day. October 31st is when Martin Luther hammered his 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg Wall. So that's a good thing for the church to celebrate. After the birth of Christ, there's probably been nothing so influential as the Reformation, at least as it concerns the church and salvation. We've been looking at comfort the last few days, comfort to our souls, and comfort does come to us in many ways. The Word of God brings us comfort. Our hearts, as we commune with God in prayer, bring us comfort. And then meditating on what God has said and His promises bring us comfort as well. But we are also comforted by our circumstances. And for the Christian, waiting, waiting on God, is often the hardest thing that we have to do. Tragedy is often the hardest thing we have to deal with as children of God. And sometimes our faith is the hardest thing we're dealing with as we live out this Christian walk. Now, really quickly, from the other day in my testimony, we went from complete despair to a job that I didn't seek or really didn't want. And then, as it turned out, that was the best job I've ever had. I've mentioned that to you several times. And that was just an example that was set for comfort, because you may be in a spot that you are in complete despair. You're not going to always be in that spot. And I can say that giving glory to God, our Savior. But Scripture is replete with the most dramatic examples of that same process that we discussed. Actually, more dramatic. And we can see people of God sometimes in the depths of despair, the depths of life, so deep as a matter of fact that we can barely imagine it. And the miraculous results that these people experienced, like the narrator of The Hobbit, as Bilbo Baggins started out on his journey, said, you decide whether it was worth it or not. And that's what we're going to look at today, the people of God, what they experienced, and whether or not we think maybe it was worth it. And we're going to start in 2 Kings. And there was a man in 2 Kings, a great man named Naaman. And verse 1 of 2 Kings 5 reads this way, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. So you've got a great general, a great warrior, who was a leper, who was sick. 
and one of his many battles, this one in Samaria, he took captive a young girl from Samaria. And she obviously liked him. She liked her mistress at least. And so she said to her mistress, If only Nehemiah could go to Samaria and see Elisha the prophet, he would heal him. And so Naaman went to Aram. Aram wrote a letter to the king of Samaria, telling him that Naaman was coming and he was looking to be healed. And the king didn't know what to do. The king was pretty much in despair. So the king tore his clothes and said, How can I heal anyone? And then we read in verse 8, Elisha was the prophet, and it says this, And it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And that was God's purpose, his own glory, to make his own name known. It wasn't that Naaman was such a nice guy that God wanted to heal him. Elisha wanted to prove that God existed. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, and this is Naaman, who came to Elisha's house, and wanted Elisha to come out to see him. Instead, this is what Elisha did. He sent him out a letter, and we're back to the verse. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was furious, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, and stand, and call not and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. And obviously, Naaman was used to getting respect. He was used to people talking to him. He was a great man, after all. And he wanted a little bit of a show, it sounds like to me. He wanted Elisha to wave his hand and cure him. So he left. And he actually came prepared to pay handsomely Elisha, as if you read, you'll see later, in chapter 6. Uh, chapter six. But as Naaman was storming out, his servants came to him and said, Look, if the prophet had asked you to do some great and mighty thing, you would have done it. Why not go to the Jordan, dip yourself in it, and see what happens? So we fast forward to verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So Naaman obeyed, after throwing a little fit, and he was healed. And the point of the story isn't just that Naaman was healed, or I don't even think primarily that Naaman was healed, but God revealed himself in power. And we mentioned earlier that waiting is the hardest thing. So watch and wait. Wait for the work of God in your lives and travel the way he leads, even if it doesn't make sense. And in that, we will see the great things God, our Savior, has for us that Jesus is going to do. Even little things like go to a job application that you don't even want, but you know you need to do, you know you need to be seeking. So however God is leading you, travel that road, trust, wait and watch and see what he does. And we're going to stay in Kings, except we're going to go to First Kings. And we touched on this a couple of days ago. We talked about the widow of Zarephath. And if you'll remember in the story, she was asked to give the prophet lunch, basically lunch, make him a sandwich. Not actually a sandwich, but bread and oil and make him some bread. She only had enough for her and her son, and then she just planned to die. But the prophet said, go ahead, don't worry about it. Just make me lunch. And so she did. And the oil and the flour did not run out. 
And every time they needed something to eat, the oil and the flour was replenished. What a wonderful time. What a wonderful miracle this widow saw because she obeyed God. She did what she was supposed to do. She made the prophet a sandwich. And sometimes, as we think about what we're praying for, we kind of have a happily ever after mentality. At a crucial time in the exodus of Israel, Moses stands up and says, Today you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And basically, in your enemies, you're going to see them no more. And I prayed that through one of the trials I was in. I prayed that and prayed that. And God answered. And I was rejoicing. And then we went into another trial. I had to readjust my thinking. Because in my thinking, I was looking at what God did in the Exodus at that moment for Israel. And then I had that happily ever after attitude. I went back to the passage and I looked again and realized that wasn't the last battle they ever had. They had battles after that. They had trials after that. And so we can't expect God to work, but we can also expect new trials. So for the widow, after many days of the oil and the flour never running out, verse 17 of Kings 17, 1 Kings 17, says this, Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. The widow then had been on this high, seeing the miraculous supply of God. And now all of a sudden her son was dead. So she ran to Elijah and she says this, What have I to do with you, O man of God? You have come to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. In just a moment she went from complete victory to devastating loss. And she reacted the way we all do. What in the world are you doing, God? Elijah the prophet then responded this way. He went to the sun, took the sun to the upper room, and verse 20, And he called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying, by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times, and called to the Lord, and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. After our initial response, we need to be going to God then, and taking everything to God in prayer. And for the woman, the widow, taking her son to Elijah, taking her problem to Elijah, was nigh unto that. That's what that was. She was taking her issue to God, her distress. And God acted, God heard the prayer of Elijah, and the child was healed. And then verse 24, And then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And I believe right at that moment, the faith of the widow came full circle. And now I think, I really think we'll see her in heaven. And after our first reaction to tragedy, we need to turn and it's taken me a long time to learn this. But we can take heart. God is always working, and he is going to astonish us. And now I know we're yo-yoing back between First and Second Kings, but when we come to Second Kings 7, we're going to see an unbelievable promise. And Samaria was under siege. They were terribly under siege. They were at the point where cannibalism was beginning to sound like an option. And because of this situation, the king sent an emissary, one of his servants, to kill Elisha, 
because his attitude, the king's attitude, was this. And it's, it's in verse 33 of Second Kings 7. And while he was still talking with them, behold, a messenger came down to him. This is Elisha. And he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? That's what the king said. He said, We're in trouble. It's the Lord's fault, and I'm not going to wait for him anymore. And then Elisha said, By this time tomorrow, food is going to be cheap in this kingdom. And he said to the servant that the king sent to actually kill Elisha, That's going to happen, and you are not going to participate in it. That was all from Second Kings 6, I'm sorry. And then in Second Kings 7, what we find out is that there, everybody was in bad straits, obviously. But there were four lepers who begged at the entrance of the gate. And they saw what was going on, obviously. And so verse 3 of Second Kings 7, they said to themselves this. This is verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say, We will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Armenians. If they spare us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Pretty good reasoning. They were already on their way to death. They couldn't go back into the city. There was nothing for them at the gate. Why not go to the Armenians? And then verse 5. And they arose at twilight to, to go to the camp of the Armenians. And when they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Armenians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Armenians to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. So the army, the Armenians, ran. They fled. And they left all their stuff. They left all their food. They left all their riches. They left all their weapons. And if you'll remember the story, the lepers went in. They got everything that they wanted, or they started to gather everything that they wanted. And then their conscience bothered them, and they said, we need to go into the city and let everybody know about this. It's not really right that we do this and keep it all to ourselves. And they were a little afraid of judgment as well. Probably a lot afraid of judgment. So they went into the city, and they told the king's servants, and then the king's servants told the king, and then he sent a few men out. And they found all the Armenians, all the riches of the Armenians out there, and they brought it in. And then bread became cheap food became cheap. And then verse 17, it says this, Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people, so this is the guy that talked to Elisha, expressed doubt, and Elisha said, Nope, this is going to happen, but you're not going to participate in it. Now back to the verse. But the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. In one day... From starving and despair to plenty. And the food, the abundance of food, did make the food cheap in that second day. And so we see again the power of God on display, the goodness of God on display, and even the justice of God on display. I've told you before that it's going to be okay. It's going to be better than okay. Because such is the presence of God and such is the will of God. And if you are his child, he is working in your life. And on your life. Naaman was challenged to listen and obey. And the widow found great tragedy right on the heels of one of the greatest miracles. 
and the city of Samaria had to wait until a few desperate men took a chance. The impetus, as you know, for the last few days is all of us who struggle and maybe right now are in a sad place, a depressed place. But our God is there with us on every level. And I don't pretend to know you, and I don't pretend to know God's specific will for you either. But I am an old man, and I have seen amazing things. And I've seen God work over and over again in ways that are just, to us, bewildering. And even though they may be bewildering, they are inexpressible and full of glory. And we are blessed to be able to see them. Now it follows, since I don't know you, and I couldn't speak to God's will for you, I don't know what your goals are. For me, I'll never be an astronaut. I'll never be a lounge singer. And so I'm not sure what your goals are, truly are. But if you are seeking in your life the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you are seeking those things, God is working, and he's working to make that true in your life. And that's where satisfaction comes from. Being satisfied and contented with God comes, especially when we seek the true blessings, the right things. He's given us all a measure of faith, and we all need to wait on God to trust in that faith, even to the point of saying, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. As we live and seek God in an astonishingly short time, we are going to hear, your faith has made you well. So we need to wait, we need to have faith, and we need to pour out our hearts like we saw yesterday before the Holy God of the universe. And I'm encouraging you to do that and take hope that it's going to be okay. Thank you, Jesus, that you work that way in our lives. Another question as we wrap up for the day. Are you feeling like a nobody? Me too. I know I'm a nobody. But I am so glad to be numbered in a troop which no one hardly ever takes notice of. It's a glorious troop. And tomorrow we're going to discuss that troop and encourage you to take your place in their ranks. Until tomorrow, then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and to give you peace. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, Make it a godly, fun-filled day.